Revelation 1, verses 5b through 8. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Last time we looked at verses 3 through 5a, the first part of verse 5 in chapter 1, which were the introductory features of a typical ancient Greco-Roman letter. It began with the name of the sender, the Apostle John, and the name of the recipients, which were seven churches in major cities of ancient Turkey. And it followed that with a prayer or blessing to the recipients, which was Trinitarian, naming the Father and Holy Spirit and Son. As John concluded that blessing, it becomes a launching pad for praise to be heaped on that son, who he calls the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And so in the second part of verse 5, John says, to him, and that's where we pick up today, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Today is Good Friday, the date Christians have used to take particular note of the death of Jesus. For Christians, this is not a one-day observation. Christ's death is a memorial for us every day. But Good Friday is the anniversary of that death, and so he gets special attention. It's called Good Friday, even though Jesus died, because by his death, he paid for the sins of sinners and made a way for peace between God and man so that we humans can escape God's wrath and enjoy God forever. It's the death that made possible the good news. All of us deserve to spend an eternity in punishment for our rebellion against God, because we have offended an eternal God of infinite worth, of infinite majesty. And so our crime has an infinite scope. But Jesus' death satisfies God's justice and makes an escape possible. But for those who find that escape, there's more than that, if possible. Jesus makes his followers into a kingdom of priests. We have our own country and our own allegiance beyond any tribal or territorial or national pride on this sphere. And we're priests. You know, priests are intermediaries, and that's what Christians are. As we give witness to Jesus and what he's done, the good news, we give people the way to enter into this relationship with God as well. Well, to this Jesus belongs all glory and dominion forever and an ever. It's an amazing testimony to the fact that the earliest Christians did, in fact, recognize that Jesus himself was God. Because for a Jew like the Apostle John, only God, only Yahweh, was deserving of worship and praise 
and glory forever and ever. To ascribe that glory to another would have been a desecration of the first commandment, but it was no desecration for the earliest Christians because they recognized that Jesus himself was God in the flesh. Finally, John concludes, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. John tells us Jesus will return. That is, for Christians, the blessed hope. But here it says all the tribes on earth will wail on account of him. Why? Because for those who have rejected him, and not worshipped him, and not given him glory as king, for those people, his coming will not be a blessed hope, but a cursed doom. John concludes the introduction to this letter by quoting the words of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and together they mean the first and the last, beginning and end. God is the source of the entire universe, and he is the goal for all the universe. Lord God is probably the Greek for Yahweh Elohim, and that's the name that God takes at the end of the creation story at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Almighty points to the omnipotence of God, his rule and authority and power over everything in creation. The fact that he is the unchanging, immutable one is referenced again with the words who is and who was and who is to come. What he is is what he will be and what he always has been. This short little prologue is jammed chock full of descriptors to remind those first Christians and us that no matter how bad things may seem, our God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is sovereign over it all. God's hand is on and in this mess. And for those, who are, and for those of us who have been loved and freed from our sins by Jesus' blood, that is very good news and truly a comfort and peace. Next time, we'll look at the remainder of chapter 1.